The Ambitious Radio Network. Conversations with ambitious entrepreneurs and thought leaders. Are you an entrepreneur, startup junkie, or just someone interested in improving their leadership skills? If you're looking to be motivated, inspired, and uncover what it takes to get to the next level, listening to Ambitious Radio will be well worth the investment of your time. We have weekly engaging conversations with today's most influential thought leaders and entrepreneurs as they discuss their successes, failures, tipping points, and other priceless information that you can apply immediately after listening. Now, here's your host, Doug Parker. All right, welcome back to the Ambitious Radio Network. This is your host, Doug Parker, and today, guys, I'll tell you what, I'm real excited about our guest because I've known this man really now for, I guess, about 15 years, and it's a real interesting kind of background how we met one another and, and we loosely knew one another for, for a little while and then we, we, we parted ways and uh, he called me out of the blue kind of uh, about maybe maybe 12 years ago, something like that I think it was and you know we had sort of having a conversation about some of the things he was doing, ministry and some of the other things and I was like, man, I'm in anything I can do to help. And, uh, and so we've got with us today Craig Nedro. Now, Craig, um, not only does he do some, some, a lot of ministry work, but he also now uh, works with MDR and Associates, which kind of is a mergers and acquisitions type. Is that right, Craig? That's correct. Okay. And uh, he's, he's a father. He, he's a husband. Um, I mean, this guy is really top, top notch. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm, I just want to welcome you to the show, sir. How are you? I'm glad to be here, Doug. Thanks for the introduction. You're very kind. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's it's always been good to have a relationship with you. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna spill the beans a little bit uh, on you here, not on you, on me, I should say. So, you know, every once in a while, if I'm having a bad day or something doesn't go the way I want it to, you know, something might slip out of my mouth that's a little unwholesome. You know, that that can happen from time to time. But one of the coolest things I've seen over the last decade or so, and and Craig and I had some experiences together in the in the automobile industry. And that's not necessarily known to be the most polished in, in uh, professional environment sometimes. Right. And, uh, but it was always cool to, to see how, you know, people around you, just the respect and, and they might, something might slip out, but they'd be like, oh, sorry about that, Craig. You know, just because you're a man that, that walks the walk, uh, you talk the talk, and you do what you say you're going to do. And so I'm, I'm so excited about this new season that you're in, you know, with, with the uh, mergers and acquisition stuff. And we'll jump into that in just a minute. But tell us a little bit about your background, you know, where you're from. And and, and some of your ups and downs in life. So I was raised in Richardson, Texas, which, uh, uh, and I, I hate to date myself, but I'll just, I do a lot of public speaking. And sometimes I'll tell people, I say, listen, I, I, I'll tell you how old I am. I grew up in Richardson, uh, which is a suburb of Dallas. And I grew up in Richardson in a time when the Cowboys were winning Super Bowls the first time. Hey, it's fixing <laughs> to happen again. It's fixing to happen again. <laughs> it is fixing to happen again, the Lord willing. But, uh, I grew up in in, in the seventies uh, in Dallas. It was a it was a great time to grow up. I, Richardson was a great place to grow up. It's uh, funny because I was I was never a big student, but the Richardson School District at that time was ranked number two in the country. And so, you know, just by showing up for class, a certain amount rubbed off on me. And I was raised in a great family, had a loving mother and father, and. Uh, I was a pretty good athlete. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, by most standards, I was a really good athlete. I play, played four sports in high school, played a little college basketball. Uh, my junior year in high school, going into my senior year, uh, I got clocked with a 92-mile-an-hour fastball. So I played baseball, basketball, uh, football, and I, I was a high jumper. I jumped six foot ten in high school, Whoa. which is pretty good for 
you know, for this several years ago. It was a pretty good – that's pretty good, jumping 6'10 in high school. So I went and played a little college basketball. And uh, when I got to college, I realized that I probably wasn't good enough to take it to the next level. Most people that knew me growing up just kind of assumed that I would end up being a professional athlete, probably baseball in baseball. But, you know, I, I just – the realization came to me that I wasn't good enough to play pro sports. And at that point, I had a real void in my life. And, I, you know, I, I'm sure I'm the only one that's going to admit something like this. But I went to something called Young Life and something called MYF when I was in, was in high school. MYF, M, MYF was – uh, Methodist Youth Foundation, and then I went to something in high school every Monday night called Young Life, and uh, I, like I said, I'm the only one that would admit this, but the reason I went was to check out the girls. <laughs> I'd like to tell you there was a spiritual reason, but to be honest, I went there to meet, to just to hang out and look at the girls, and um, I uh, I got out of college and came back to Dallas, and it was, a, it was an interesting time. It was the late 70s, early 80s. The Cowboys were winning Super Bowls. Uh, the oil business was big, and, and, and it was flowing. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, uh, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And to be honest with you, Doug, I fell in with the wrong kind of crowd. And uh, not that there was anything wrong with these particular people, but I started hanging out with a lot of the Cowboys and the Cowboy cheerleaders. I was a general manager of the top nightclub in Dallas. Uh, and uh, so I, I got involved with a lot of the stuff that went along with that. And mm-hmm. it was just, I made some poor choices in my life. And, you know, I'd like to tell you that I was a pastor's kid, never had any problems, everything went perfect in my life, but that's that's really not the road that, that I went down. I began to make some bad choices, and I got into some trouble, and it's at that place where I got in trouble that the Lord showed himself in my life. Um, and, you know, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And for me, it took actually getting locked up for a little while and the, for the Lord to get my attention. I was a young guy, I was making bad choices, and... Uh, I got locked up and and uh, spent a little time behind bars, and that's where my life got changed. I got born again behind those walls, and that's where, really where the Lord changed my life. I started spending 10 to 12 hours a day in the Word of God and uh, just fell in love with the Word of God. And uh, So that's really kind of the, a, a quick scenario of how where I was raised and my, my young upbringing. And then when I got saved and uh, got born again and— uh, the Lord began opening doors for me to do a lot of public speaking. Now, you and I have known each other a long time, and you know that I'm a men's pastor. Mm-hmm. I'm the pastor of my church now, and I've been pastor of a couple other churches I was part of before. And I uh, I do a lot of ministry work. Um, you know, I, I'm grateful for my job and my profession, and the Lord really blessed me there. But my passion is really to do the ministry work. And I'm heavily involved in prison ministry. I've been doing prison ministry for about 12 years. I do, I'm the men's pastor at my church. I have a radio program on 100.7 FM, The Word, in here in the Dallas area. It's, uh, I don't know if the word syndicated is exactly the word, but it's broadcast throughout most of Texas and Oklahoma. It's on every Sunday from noon to one called Stand Up for Jesus, and I've been on about eight years. And I, I just, I really like to do ministry work. I go, uh, me and a group of guys go down to downtown Dallas, and we go on the streets in Dallas and actually find the homeless people that don't make it to the shelters. And we feed and clothe the homeless people several times a year. So these are some of the different ministries I'm involved in. And that's really my passion is to do. I love the Lord. And after what the Lord did to change my life, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm pretty, you know me, Doug, I'm pretty bold in my in my witness. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting in, in the 
intro or actually before the intro, when we were kind of just chatting before the show, we were talking about, you know, a lot of people would have things they'd, they'd like to redo if they could redo them or do them a little differently. And you said, you know, Doug, I, I don't think I, I would because if, if I said redid something, I wouldn't be where I am right now. And that's real powerful, especially considering some of the things that you've gone through in life. But, you know, I know for me, for, for sure, there's things that I'm not proud of or I'm embarrassed about. And, hey, I'm glad I didn't grow up in a time with video cameras on phones and all this kind of stuff because, you know, some stuff you can just kind of put behind you and you're on down the road. But um, let's let's kind of dive in a little bit and just talk about, you know, you talked about kind of a major obstacle that you had, you know, kind of when you're transitioning from kind of, uh, you were an adult, but, you know, immature to being mature. But let's talk about the transition over the past, you know, uh, five, 10 years. You know, you're in business, you're doing things the right way. Uh, I know that you struggled to make the decision to, to jump out of the automobile industry for several years and, and you were wanting to do full-time ministry and, and some great things have lined up. But can you just talk about some just obstacles that you've ran into in your professional life and then how you transitioned through those? So, you know, Doug and I met many years ago in the car business. We worked for, for the same company. And, you know, I think car dealerships and car people in general get a bad rap. And let me kind of clear that up, what I'm saying by that. You know, I think there are, and I'm not trying to offend anybody, I think there are good bankers and probably bad bad bankers. I think there are, uh, we obviously know there's some corrupt politicians, but I think there's some good politicians. And the, in, in every profession, I think that there's some, some scoundrels and I think that there's some good people. And, you know, the car business is interesting because it will, the training that we learned and that, that anybody that's in the car business, that training will serve you well no matter what you decide to do in life later on down the road. It's a people business. You learn to communicate with people. You learn to think quickly. you got to be good with numbers. And it, there's just some good skills that you develop out of the car business that you can use later on in life. But Doug and I met in the car business, and Doug got out pretty quickly and went started a company on his own that he's really done just, I think, better than anybody expected. And uh, I, I was one of these guys that I rose to a certain level in the car business, and it was a it was a decent level. I was a director of uh, of um, different departments, but then what held me down a little bit was that the people above me said, uh, and I heard this more than one time, "Listen, I can't promote you anymore because I really need you at the spot that you're at right now. You're too valuable at the at the level you're at now," and that kind of held me to held me back a little bit. And so, you know the in the car business, it's one of the reasons most of us get in the car business is that it, you make pretty good money. And uh, I, I, I made a good living in the car business. And so when you start making, I mean, and it's all relative, you know, good living. Some people that might be 35000 Some people might be a quarter of a million. Mm-hmm. But when you start making, you know, hundred dollars to $200,000 a year, that's a difficult income to just replace automatically. And so um, it's funny because over the years I've had people say, well, when are you going to get in full-time ministry? And I've said to people many times, I am in full-time ministry. Now that I may not pastor a church, and I think you and I even had a conversation at one point about this, if I ever felt as though the Lord had really called me to pastor a church, I would I would want to be obedient to that, and I would go do that. But I'm an evangelist. I speak in a lot of different churches. I'm friends with a lot of pastors. I have the privilege of doing a lot of different types of ministry work. And, uh, you know, so, so I am full t- in full-time ministry, but, uh, you know, I remember several years ago and I, I think, I, I don't think you gave me this book, Doug, but you might've, there's a book called Kings and Priests. Oh yeah. I got it for you. And, uh, Oklahoma. yeah. And, and that, that the premise of that book in the short order is that there are, uh, in the kingdom of God, there are people who served in the, in the priest 
uh, area. And then there, and if you go back and look in the Old Testament, the priests were the ones who really brought the vision of the Lord and took care of the house of God. The king's role was to go out to battle. If you'll remember when David took his fall, it said in the spring when kings go out to war, David stayed behind. So king's role was to go out and do battle and then take the spoil or the booty or whatever, the Bible calls it both, and they would bring it back and use that for the house of the Lord. And in this book, Kings and Priests, what the premise is is that a lot of guys miss their calling because what we tend to do in this world is we'll take a businessman who's gifted at making money and we want to squeeze him into the role of being a youth pastor or something, and all of a sudden he stepped out of his calling. And so uh, I'm kind of in a little bit of a foot, a little bit in both camps. I, I know I have the priest uh, on me as far as uh, I love to teach the Word of God and I'm an evangelist and I speak, I'm a witness for Christ. But I've also been gifted in making pretty good money. And so I, I like to use my finances for the furthering of the kingdom. Uh, I'm a, I'm, I've always been a big tither. I believe in tithing. And so I like to give financially to the kingdom, but I also like to participate in the teaching and the evangelism in the kingdom. So in the car business, it, it took me a while because... You know, and, and when I finally got out, what happened was a, a buddy of mine came and visited me, and he said, I feel like the Lord asked me to come have a conversation with you. And I said, okay. And he said, here's what I would like you to, to think about. And it was a, like a revelation because my wife and I had started praying three or four years ago about this opportunity. And this buddy of mine uh, named Michael came and saw me, and he said, I think you need to hear something. And I said, what's that? And he said, Craig, I've watched you for many years. I've seen you with other people. And he said, you know, I need you to hear this. Your skill set is transferable. And I remember when he told me that. That's a, Now you stop and think about it. Your skill set is transferable. And here's what the devil does to guys in the car business, and I think he does this to a lot of people. The devil will put blinders on you, and the blinders will tell you this, that that's all you can do in life. And we kind of get trapped by that sometimes. And when Michael came to me and said, you know, I, I think you need to know that your skill set is transferable, that meant a lot to me. I almost felt like that was a word from the Lord. And so, you know, and, and listen, even you, Doug, over the years, you've talked to me a couple of times about, or maybe even more than a couple, but about trying to get out of the car business. Mm -hmm. And I'm not one that's real quick to jump, but I knew my days were numbered in the car business. So eventually it came to the point where um, the Lord had made it very clear to me. You can, you can say I'm a little bit like Gideon. I want to see the, the fleece dry and then wet, but I wanted some confirmations, and so did my wife. You know, a lot of times we, we make decisions without really uh, consulting our, our significant other, and that can cause a lot of problems too. We're a team. She's my partner. She's my best friend. So we both needed to have a certain comfort level and confirmation, and we received that in, recently, and so I've left the car business and started in this new industry, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's a great industry. Yeah, and, and I can't wait to, when we, when we jump in the next segment, we'll talk a little bit more kind of about what you're currently doing and how that works and how you know that all plays into your kind of your life's work and then also how it plays into other business owners and, and entrepreneurs and, and those types of things. But I do want to ask you just a couple of quick questions as we kind of start wrapping up this segment. Uh, we talked about the major obstacles. So let's talk about, you know, things that you do 
to grow. How is it that you, as an entrepreneurial-minded person, and, and I know you've used your entrepreneurial skills uh, quite a bit in the ministry stuff. You started a radio program. Yep. You've, you've done, you did a Stand Up for Jesus event down at the Allen Event Center several years back. And But but how is it that, that you get those things put in place, and then what is it that you do to grow? So and when you first said the word grow there, obviously um, we can grow spiritually. Mm-hmm. And then we can also grow in the business arena. Yep. And I don't think they necessarily have to be separate, although they are separate. There's two different areas of growth there. But in my opinion, um, one sometimes feeds the other. In other words, um, you know, the Bible in Matthew six thirty three says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things shall be added unto you. So... You know, not to make just a ridiculous point, but to stop and think about anybody, uh, anybody that's listening. You know, people who may be very successful financially or very successful in business, but they're literally miserable in their lives. And so that's never something I've wanted to be. I've, I, I know guys like this. I know some guys that are multimillionaires, but they're miserable in life. And what good is it if you, if you've, I'm, I mean, the Bible says, what good is it if a man. Uh, owns the whole world, but he loses his soul. And so I think, you know, I put my spiritual life first. And in doing that, I also believe that the Lord directs my steps. I believe he brings things across my path. I believe that, uh, so with me, everything starts with making sure that I carve out that regular quiet time to be with the Lord. And what that means, you'll hear people say, oh, I need time with the Lord. What that means for me that means I time quiet time med- uh, where I spend time in the Word, and then I meditate on that Word, spend time in prayer, and not you know when we pray, you know my, our Heavenly Father is not a genie in a lamp where we just want to come with a list of things to ask for. Sometimes it's just getting still and just trying to get into the ease into the presence of the Lord. And in doing that, a lot of times I feel like the Lord will give you ideas. Mm-hmm. Doug, I've watched you over the years and watched your career. And I can tell you, your career is just not because of things that you have thought about. I know you, and I know that the Lord has directed your steps over the years, and it's been great to watch, but I I know that in my own life. So um, I know that where I'm at, and I said this earlier and we touched on it, that I I don't wish anything, that a lot of things that maybe happened to me on somebody else, but that's what it took for me Mm -hmm. to get humbled and to come to the place to understand that he's God and I'm not and to submit and surrender my life to him. And so I wouldn't change those things because God's hand has been on my life. And so that's why, and he's, and, he, and a lot of times we want to tell God how we want things done. Mm-hmm. And he, and if he could speak to us a lot of times, he'd probably say, I really don't need your help with this. I got this. So I, I'm just, you know, part of the surrendering process is spending that quiet time with the Lord. And then he's directed my steps in business along those lines. So let me ask you this. What, what's one of the things that is a personal habit of yours that you think has most contributed to your success? You mean financially or spiritually or? Just in general, just your success. I so, spend time in the Word every day. And, and here's the reason why I ask that, Craig. So, you know, we do these interviews and we're trying to uh, find people that are thought leaders, that are entrepreneurs, that are, that are authors, that are just leading in their communities, whatever the case is. So somebody may be listening to this show today, and, and for whatever reason, it may not be resonating with them. However, you bring something very unique you know, to the table today, and so it's not something that everybody else does. So it's what works for you, and, and, and what we want to do is to bring great content to people that they can listen to, 
And, you know, maybe they can take two or three or four nuggets away from here that, that really resonates with them. And so what works for you, the, the guy we had on last week, he, he was a little different guy. You know, he sure. was different. Now, the cool thing was he talked about how he was an atheist for like 25 years and then and then found the Lord and and, and came came around. But he, he does things a little differently than Craig does. And so with that being said, so you talk about, you know, that that's, that's how you do it. So what does that rhythm really look like in your life? I mean, is, is it just like when you're having a problem, you pull open the book and flip through a couple of pages? Or what, what's, your, what's your rhythm of, of going through and, and, and time in the Word? Well, and, and listen, you know, there's, he's not a cookie-cutter God. I know people that say, well, I want, I'm on a reading program to read the Bible in a year. And, and listen, if, if that's what works for somebody, that's great. That's, never, I've never, that's not what I do. Because, you know, there's three ways to study the Word of God. You can read the Word of God, and then you can study the Word of God, which means you're going to take a certain section of, of Scripture, and you're going to look at the situation it was written in, who it was written to, who was written, who, who was the author of it, and some of the other circumstances, and dig a little deeper. And that's studying the Word. And then the level that I really enjoy is when you get in and you begin to meditate on the Word of God. And what that could look like is you may take one verse— and, and I'll just give an example. One of my life verses that I've probably spent a thousand hours on over the years meditating on is the, is the verse that says, be still and know that I am God. And, and so when you meditate on the, on the Word of God, you'll take one verse or a couple of verses and just for a day or two days or a week or a month, just, just, just stay on that particular section of Scripture. What happens is the Holy Spirit will begin to minister to you about that. Now, let me back up and point something out because we're talking, and you mentioned something that this may not apply to everybody. Um, you know, we live in a real selfish world, mm-hmm. and it's all about me, 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 me. I, I got to be honest with you, not to get off track here, but I, I'm kind of amazed and captured at the phenomenon of selfies because Let's I'm take just one real quick, Craig. <laughs> I'm just telling you, you will never see a or hear of a <laughs> selfie from me because. To me, it's amazing that that I I would think that if I could take a picture with my cell phone and throw it out there, that there'd be just a whole lot of people that'd be interested in seeing that picture about what I'm doing at the time or how I look at that time. I'm amazed by the whole selfie thing, but it's you know what that is? That's a snapshot of our of our society today. It's we're a very self-centered society. Mm-hmm. We're a me 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 world, and. I believe what works for me is to go contrary to that, to go against the grain. I genuinely care about and are concerned about other people. And obviously, being a men's pastor, you know, I never meant this to be this way, but the Lord has really given me an open door and given me a a lot of um, credibility and and a lot of opportunities with men. Uh, My wife has even mentioned it a couple of times over the years. She said, what is the deal? I mean, you got all you got this long list of guys that are that are in your group. They're just your guys. Well, that's just what the Lord's led me to. He's He's led me to be a, a leader of men in the area of in the spiritual area, and so I like to look out. I like to reach out to other brothers. I like to reach out to other guys, uh, and I find what happens there is. And you mentioned this earlier. You know, I take my faith seriously. I'm not perfect. But I want to live my life in a way that glorifies God. And one of the first things he did in my life when I got saved was he changed my language. Mm-hmm. I used to have horrible language. And when I got saved, the Lord changed my language almost immediately. And I'm not perfect. Sometimes when I, where I stumble in speech is I can tend to be harsh with people. I have a very type A personality. And sometimes I'll speak to people in a way that's got a little bit of sharpness to it. And the Lord will bring that to my attention. But I don't have a problem with cussing. 
Uh, I'm not saying – I mean, probably once every three, four, five years, I might throw a, a word out. Right. But that's about that's about how regular it might come out. I don't I don't I don't cuss very often. Yeah, yeah. And and you mentioned this earlier. It's almost embarrassing sometimes because I'll be around a group of men or, or guys somewhere, and when it, this happened when I was in the car business, um, even when I go back and see some some old guys that are in the car business still, mm-hmm. somebody may drop something in a conversation and they'll almost immediately say, "Oh, Craig, I'm sorry," and and I didn't say anything to him, didn't look at him in a real weird way. It's just that they know where I stand. They know what I stand for. And I've had a lot of guys say, you make me a better man. Now, I'm not making them a better man, but I understand what they mean by that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I mean, you know, the, the reality is, too, is, and it's not like, because I've been in that setting. I've been on on that side of the conversation before with you. Right. And I've been in the group where that's been the case. And it's not somebody ever, it's, it's a really, it's actually out of respect for you that they're trying not to just do something that's offensive to you, even though you're not outwardly making it that way they're just trying to you know just to just to uh not not be offensive to you so that's always a a, a respectful thing that i've seen and, and I, I i just think it's neat because you don't see that kind of stuff very often and not that it particularly offends me if somebody says something or whatever and i know you don't go you know but it's just kind of a cool deal now one other quick thing before we just uh, wrap up here um this is a, a little different one so let's talk about maybe a subject matter or a situation that you've changed your mind on in the last five to 10 years, you're kind of 180 degrees the other direction. You really thought this way. And now you're like, man, with a little more information, a little more time, I think of this a little differently. Anything like that, that, that you can think of? No, I, I, I can tell you, I mean, I'm pretty conservative, conservative in my viewpoints. Um, I, I, I consider, I call it what I consider. I have a biblical worldview on most things. And I, I don't that don't mean that in some type of self-righteous way. That's the the least way I mean that. But you see, I, I believe what the Bible said when it was written is st- still what the Bible means today. And um, we have evolved as a society, as our late great president would mention, that we've evolved as a society today where there's a lot of people who even even confessing Christians who would tell you that they don't agree with a lot of the viewpoints and a lot of things that the Bible has to say and I can tell you this I mean that that, that's an area where it has been a surprise to me that we as a society have changed on like I said I'm pretty conservative in my viewpoints Uh, if anything as I continue to age I find myself getting a little maybe even a little bit more like that but I'm a little bit I'm concerned because I have kids and grandkids I grew up in America I love my country I'm concerned about my country, and and it concerns me, and and it I think it is a con, um, disturbing pattern I see in our country in our in our world today, where we could actually get to the point where somebody could say to me, "You can't you can't speak about what you're speaking about on the radio program. Mm. You can't you can't talk about those particular scriptures because they're offensive." We need to stop trying to change God's word to fit our society, and we need to come back under the authority of the scriptures. and 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 so that's not me changing; that's the that's society changing. But I, I and there's a couple of big hundred eight hundred pound gorillas in the room. When you start talking about this, I don't mind talking about them. I talk about them on my radio program often. What the Bible says is right makes it right, and what the Bible says is wrong makes it wrong. And I'm and so I. 
that that line in the sand for me has probably gotten a little stronger over the years. But I don't – as far as looking at something that I took 180 – like somebody might say, oh, I used to think abortion was wrong and I think it's okay now. No, I, I can't find any areas that I've gone – a reversal like that quickly on yeah i got you i got you well that's and and i ask that because sometimes it's it's some deep thoughts on on different things and you know we we always want to expose people again to ideas to help them get better and to go through stuff and you know i I know a while back i don't think i've talked about this before uh on the air but there was a time you know so in general i think i believe in the death penalty i think if somebody did something to my kid or my wife i like i'm thinking that's what should happen but we talk about, you know, the, the, the abortion deal. And I think, you know, an innocent little baby, I, I don't think that's a good idea. Now, uh, actually, a mutual uh, person that we used to work with a long time ago, uh, I won't say his name, but he, he, we had this conversation. And, uh, and, and he said, oh, so it's okay to kill this one, but not that one. And I was like, that's an interesting way to look at it. Now, at the time, I didn't think it changed my mind on anything. I'm thinking, well, there's an innocent one, there's a guilty one. But then I started thinking, how am I to be the one to make that decision? You know what I mean? So, you know, hey, it's... it's. Yeah, how bad does the offense have to be to go ahead and put somebody to death? Uh, yeah, is, so, it, is it killing two people coming out of a bank? Is it killing a baby in the womb? Or is it blowing up a... a is it a terrorist attack and blowing up a bunch of people? Uh, where, where, what's the line we got to go across? Exactly. And so I, I just... It, it added a shade of gray to me that I felt like I was pretty black and white on before. And it was just a different approach. So... You know, with, you know, Zig used to say people don't change their mind. They make new decisions with new information. So, again, mm-hmm. we always want to just present new information that people can, because it's it's easy to be um, uneducated or ignorant to something, and you just don't know any better. It's right. just like it's how it's always been. That's why we always do it that way. And then you get exposed to a little something else. You're like, wait a minute, with with some facts to back this stuff up. You know, our general manager at, at, our, at our credit company, he says, nothing will mess up a rant like a fact. Okay. And, you know, when you start bringing in some facts and stuff, it really changes that dynamic. So that's kind of why we asked that question. But, Craig, it has been a great first segment we've knocked out here. We've got three more we got to get through. So I'm going to wrap this one up after we hear a brief word from our sponsors. We'll hear more from Craig Nedro and his career pursuits, kind of what he's doing now, and uh, kind of what's on the horizon here on the Ambitious Radio Network. Hey, ambitious listeners, you hear us interviewing entrepreneurs all the time, and there's a common theme. They want to be more productive and improve their communication. As an ambitious entrepreneur, you're always on the go. So turn your mobile phone into a business phone system with Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. The Ambitious Radio Network recently partnered with Grasshopper to offer our listeners a special discount. Log on to ambitiousradio.com and click on the Grasshopper banner in the bottom right-hand corner. Get a new business number or keep your current one. Sound professional with a main greeting and multiple extensions that forwards callers to your mobile phone or others in your organization. Get a toll-free number or local number for your business with multiple extensions. Set up each extension with custom call forwarding to any phone in the world. Get your voicemails emailed to you as an audio attachment or transcribe an email. Keep business calls separate from your personal calls. Plans start at $12 a month with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Remember to click on the Grasshopper banner at AmbitiousRadio.com for a special discount for our listeners. Join the over 150,000 small business owners that have stayed connected with Grasshopper. See how Grasshopper works? It's the entrepreneur's phone system. Turn the world into your office. All 
right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network. Today we got a great one. We got Craig Nedro, and you know I've known this guy for years. He always challenges me on my thoughts, and we talked a little bit about that in the, in the last segment on, on some different things. Um, but now he's got a new world. He does a lot of stuff in ministry, and he's done that for, for many, many years. But now he has uh, really kind of stepped out and is helping business owners that are looking to, you know, basically the mergers and acquisition, you know, how that part of the process works. So he's, he's with a company called MDR & Associates. And we're going to talk a little bit about what he's doing now and how that helps entrepreneurs. So, Craig, let's jump in. Let's talk about that. What is it exactly that you're doing right now? So when people hear the term mergers and acquisitions, I guess the immediate thought is something like, you know, Warner Brothers taking over Viacom or something. And while that is a, that's an acquisition and a merger that I would love to have a piece of, but, but uh, that's, and that's what most people think of when they hear mergers and acquisitions. Now, there's a divide line seems to be in the industry where, uh, and basically what mergers and acquisitions is, is the selling and the buying of a business or a company. And in our world, uh, under $5 million, it's, con- it's called business broker. Uh, over a $5 million transaction, it enters into the area of mergers and acquisitions. Okay. But what we do as a firm, it's called MDR and Associates. That's M as in Michael, D as in David, R as in Ruben. That's our founder. Uh, MDR and Associates. And what we do is we are we have an office in Houston. We have an office in Dallas. Uh, we just recently opened up a, a Frisco McKinney office. And I, I'm actually the president of the Frisco McKinney office okay. for MDR and Associates. And what we do is we help Texas business owners fulfill their dreams and sell their companies. You know, there's a lot of people. And uh, I just, if you don't know, Doug, Doug Parker is a very successful businessman, and he has a few different companies. So Doug's a little younger than I am, but there's a lot of people. I'll give you a couple of statistics. There's 40 million small business owners in this country, mm. and the statistics say that 50% of those will exchange ownership in the next 10 years. Okay. So 20 million small businesses are going to change ownership in the next 10 years. There's a lot of people who are in their 50s, uh, 60s and like I'm we have a, a client right now there there are two people that own this company 172 and 170 and they're ready to retire they own the land and the building they own the business and they want to sell all of it and walk away I have another client that we just signed up and this particular client is uh, 52 years old and she's always wanted to write some books and do some private instruction in the area that's her expertise so that's her motivation um, there's a lot of different reasons why people might want to sell a company but for uh, somebody that's heading into retirement, it's called an exit strategy. And there's a lot of people that own their own company that don't have an exit strategy. They've never sat and thought, how do I get out of this business? How do I transition into the next part of my life? And I remember having a conversation with one guy, and, and, he, and I said, do you have a 401K? And he said, no, my business is my 401K. And that, that's a true statement for a lot of people. Their business is their 401K. It's surprising to me how few of people that own their own company have any idea how much it's worth. Uh, I'm, I challenge you that probably eight out of 10 people that own their own company, if you say, do you have any idea what your company's worth? They really can't get, they, they can throw a pie in the sky number, but they really don't have a good idea what their company's worth. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because he, here's, um, you know, and, and you and I have, have talked over the years about anything you could imagine. Um, I mean, it's, it's it, so anyway, um, when it comes to a business, What's the rule of thumb? Is there a rule of thumb? Is it a revenue-driven deal? Is it an EBITDA deal? Is it a profitability? I mean, what, what is that? How does that formula okay. work? That's a great question. It is a, it is a gross revenue thing. 
Uh, it's also, and when Doug uses the word EBITDA, that's for layman's terms, that means what's your net. And so um, it's important. And what usually what happens is we look at the last three years. We want to look at their gross revenue the last three years. We want to look at the, the EBITDA the last three years. And then depending upon the industry, you can figure anywhere between three and six or seven times multiple of the net. In other words, let's say you've got a business and it's the, the gross revenue for the last three years has averaged about $2 million a year. Let's say that the, the net profit after, after all expenses and, and everything else is about 500000 Well, and this is just a real, real um, vague thumb, thumb, you know, rule of thumb thing because a lot of things can vary. But if you've grossed, um, if your gross has been about $2 million per year mm-hmm. and you've, your net's been about half a million a year, you can figure you can probably sell that business for $1.5 to $2 million. Depending on what's going on, there may be some equipment that goes along with it. There may be land in a building that goes along with it, which obviously would help the, the cost and the, or the value of your business. So, But just a general rule of thumb is three to four times the multiple of what your net is. Okay. Now, what a lot of people fail to do, and I hear this all the time, I hear people say to me all the time, I should have sold this business five or six years ago. What happens is people will make the mistake when business is good, they ride that, and I understand that. But they'll wait until they're five years after it's peaked and headed back down the wrong side, and it does two things. It hurts the value of the business tremendously, and it also makes it difficult to sell. Because mm-hmm. just think about it. If you're going to buy a business, are you, are, you, are you interested in buying a business that's doing half what it did four years ago? Right. Or are you interested in buying a business that's showing a 20% increase every year? And so a lot of people think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to sell my business one day. I just don't know when yet, and I would encourage anybody – if you don't know what your business is worth, it's easy to find out. Be happy to help you there. And you might want to think about selling your business while it's either still growing or at the peak before something happens and it takes a downturn uh, because the, the the business is always worth worth the most when it's doing well. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, you know, it's the old rule of thumb of, you know, buy low and sell high. I mean, that's 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 the game plan, right? right. But, um, you know, when you when you look at these things, it's – as a business owner, I've been through, you know, a few cycles myself and, and you're, you know, when it's growing, you kind of feel like it's going to do that forever. And so you're like, Hey, wait a minute. I don't want to sell now. Cause man, this thing is still going. I mean, I want to sell it when it gets to the top. And, um, and then, you know, whenever there's some hiccups or things happen, then you know, you, you get into that mode of, you may not want to sell when it's low either. Cause you're like, Hey, I'm not going to get value out of it. So it's, you know, it, it's a delicate balance, but you know, one thing I do want to touch on Bo Burlingham, he was the editor at large at Inc. Magazine for many years. I think he's over at Fortune uh, now. And, uh, you know, I had him on uh, the show, I guess it's maybe on episode three or four, something like that, kind of in the very beginning of of Ambitious Radio. But um, he has a book that's called Finish Big. And it really talks about some of the things that Craig just alluded to. And so, you know, I would always recommend go out there, grab a copy of that book. And then, you know, at least you are educated on some things. And we talked about in the last segment a little bit about, you know, people changing their mind on things or, or making new decisions with new information. Get that information. And then you can get with, with, with someone like Craig or, or specifically Craig. I can I can recommend for sure um, that you get with him and, and, and look at. You know, what is the value of your business? What what does an exit strategy look like? And and that might be, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to get some of your, you know, some of your personal expenses and some of the things that are they're legitimate business expenses, but if you weren't there, they wouldn't be there anymore. And, you know, start isolating some of that stuff and getting the maximum net as you talked about or that EBITDA up. 
and so that so that whenever you get ready to sell that thing you're really in a great position to do so and and now let's talk about you know kind of you know obviously you're a business broker so when i started hearing you know a lot of entrepreneurs they have a little salesman bone in them you know what i mean they they kind of have a little hustle and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. right so they kind of think man i can sell my business man i don't need nobody to come oh for me <laughs> right okay well, that's kind of how they think i, I know <laughs> trust me i know i'm, I'm broker i don't need a broker exactly but but let's let's really talk about that practically you know maybe some of the differences between having a broker not having a broker how is it that you are compensated? Is it something where they write you a big old fat check right up front and then you go work of, for them? I mean, couple of great, couple of great questions. I'm gonna I'm gonna first of all start off by mentioning something that that'll bring me into this. But uh, you know, Doug was talking about something a, bit, a minute ago as far as like getting prepared for the time when you might want to sell your company. And here's one of the things I see too with a lot of guys. And I'm gonna use Doug as an example. Doug started his own company. I don't know, Doug, how, 15 years ago, 12, 12 years ago, about 20 years ago is when I started, but okay. then about six years part-time and 13 years ago left the, the industry, automobile industry and started doing it full time. Okay, so I'm talking about when he, when he left the other industry that he was in and he's had this company 13 years. So he's done really well with it. It's grown tremendously, but along the way, um, this I mean, initially this was all of his effort and all his energy was going into this company. Now what's happened is over the years, Doug's evolved and now he's branched off and he started a couple other companies. I got six fingers now. <laughs> you got no, six. Okay. So, <laughs> so he's, he'll branch off and he, now he's got a couple other companies. And at some point, uh, I mean, I've just talked to a guy that owns a, a roofing company and a construction company that he just recently started, but he's had a concrete company for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So he said, man, I would really, I'm interested in selling a concrete company, taking the revenue from that, juicing up the roofing and the construction company. So I'm meeting with him next week to talk about selling the concrete company. Mm-hmm. So that happens with a lot of business owners because it, what when you started it, it was your dream. And then uh, we all evolve and grow. And all of a sudden, you're looking up eight or ten years later, and you really have another dream that has been birthed that you'd like to go after. Well, maybe it's time to t- have a conversation with me about what what's my business really worth so I can go on and pursue my next dream in life. So that's one of the things. And now, what Doug was just talking about, um, let me see. I uh, if I didn't get sidetracked here a little bit, well, uh, you know, just, you know, how, so how are you compensated? And, and 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 as a business owner, you know, oh, why why wouldn't you sell it on your own? Right. Okay. So uh, I had a conversation uh, with a company that we're listing. Actually, that had this meeting this morning, and this particular individual says, "This is not my first rodeo. I've sold a company before, and uh, I didn't use a broker, and it was a horrible experience." I know that if I'd have used somebody, a broker, I would have gotten more value from my company. I wouldn't have made some of the bad mistakes I made, and it was just the worst experience in my life. And so this guy, this particular business owner has got a company and said, I've got two people that are interested, or two other organizations that want to buy my company right now, but I'm not doing this without a broker. And so, because, and this was quote unquote, she said, I know the pitfalls, and I know all the, the, the traps that you can get into. There's many ways a deal can get killed. There's many days, many ways that you can start down the right road, and then all of a sudden you look up and you either you some things have been done that are not looking out for your best interest, or you're not getting the real true value of your company. And so our job as a broker, first of all, we represent the seller. If you have a business, and I'm going to list your business, you're my first priority. I want to protect you. I want to bless you with the most money for for your company. But also, a lot of times, there's other things that come into play. For example, you own a company. You build it for 13 years. You have a lot of key employees. 
and you just don't want somebody to come in here and buy your business and blow the thing up. Right, right. So you, you might have people that have been with you for the whole time, and you say, I want these people to be treated with respect. I want I, I don't want anybody coming in and firing. Uh, I got 86 employees. I don't want them all to lose their job the first day this transition takes place. So a lot of times, as important as the amount of money you get for your company is finding the right buyer for your company. Okay. So we're concerned about that. We want to bring the right buyer to the table. Uh, we, we, we want to be a blessing to you, but we also want to be a blessing to the buyer. But we're concerned about getting the right buyer to buy your business. Now, our fee, most brokers, most M&A advisors uh, and firms that do what we do almost exclusively collect an upfront fee. Now, we are, um, and I know a lot of people when they hear, oh, it's a Christian company. I don't want to do business with a Christian company. And I get that. That's a bad reflection on the body of Christ that, we should be the best, not the not not the worst. But um, we are what we call as a Matthew six thirty three firm, which means seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added. And what I mean by that is, we want to do the right thing for our seller. We also we believe in in tithing and giving to charities. So out of every deal that we do, we give a certain portion to charities because we know if we're doing that and we're looking out for the the buy, uh, the seller's best interest, we know the Lord's going to honor this kind of behavior. And He has. We've done over a hundred transactions the last eight years, and the Lord's honored that. But and so we, counter counter to the culture in our firm or in our industry, we take zero upfront fees. And when I say zero, I mean zero. Um, we, we don't, you don't pay us a dime. We, we meet, we list the company, we will help bring the buyers to, and usually we try to bring more than one offer. We'll bring the buyers to the table. We walk you through the process. It's called the discovery process and then the negotiation process, take you through to closing. And we don't get paid until you get paid. We get paid at the closing table when you get paid. And the typical fee in the industry is 12% up to 5 million and then over 5 million, uh, it usually goes down a little bit depending on how large. Uh, we just we sold a $8.4 million pharmacy recently, and we got paid 440000 So we, we worked off of about a 5% fee on that. So the higher the value, the lesser the fee. But normally up to, to $5 million, the industry standard is 12% fee. So if we, if we sold your company for $2.5 million, we'd get a $300,000 fee there. And then uh, the rest of it's yours. There's some small attorney fees, not a whole lot. Uh, and those would come out at the time of uh, closing as well. But we don't take a dime until we sell your company. If we don't sell your company, you don't owe us any money. Well, you know, that, that's that's a real interesting, you know, way to do it. And, and so many people out there, you know, we, you know, with our company, we've been on the Inc. 500 list. And, you know, whenever those things happen... You know, you get your door knocked on by everybody in I'm the sure. world, and it's it's kind of a crazy dynamic. But with with that being said, there, everyone that had ever approached me was always, you know, they want some kind of an, like appraisal fee essentially, and they want to do this due diligence and blah blah blah. And you know, before you know it, you would have spent you know fifty grand or something. And it's like every time I was like, eh, now not going down that path. That's just not. I mean, it's not interesting doing that. But it sounds like a really interesting approach and. Now, let me ask this, Craig. Would you recommend that someone, let's say that they are at whatever level in their business, maybe maybe it's on the, the upside, you know, it's, it's headed up, it's, it's doing some, some revenue, it's doing well, maybe it's, you know, doing, um, you know, $50,000, $60,000 a month, maybe it's headed to, to a million dollars a year yep. in revenue. Yep. Um, would you recommend meeting with that person now? 
you know, because maybe they're not, they haven't really hit their stride. They're just kind of getting some stuff going. They've got a good, solid business model. They've been in business for two or three years. Yep. Everything's going well. Or maybe it's the person that's been in business for five to eight years. Maybe they're doing a million, two, three million dollars a year in revenue. Or maybe someone is, it's, it's, it's slid down a little bit. Is there a, an optimal time to talk to you in the business growth cycle? Or is it just, if you don't, you know, I think you said an exit strategy in the beginning and people talk about their 401k as their business. So if it's somebody that's in a situation like that where they don't have an exit strategy and they truly don't have a 401k, they really are counting on their business at any time. It's, hey, let's at least start talking. Not that you're wanting to sell the business in the next 30 days, but let's get together. Let's do a consultation so that in the next three to five years, we've had a conversation. You started putting things in place. What, what are your thoughts there? Really good question. You know, we, uh, we just sold a HVAC company for a young couple. Husband and wife owned it in their 40s. And they came to us and he said, I'm tired of working 80 hours a week. He said, I don't, all I get with the heating and air conditioning are problem calls. Right. He said, I don't get any, nobody calls me up and says, hey, we just want to let you know we love our AC unit. <laughs> he said, it's always a problem call. He said, I'm tired of working 80 hours a week. They had no idea what their business is worth. We ended up selling the business, got them almost three, just under $3 million for the company. Mm. And uh, it was life changing for them. But they weren't, looking for an exit strategy. They weren't looking to retire. They're in their early 40s. Right. What they're looking to do is be, their family just got blessed in a huge way. They can stand back now, take a deep breath, and uh, take a little time off, go spend a month or two with the kids and go travel a little bit. And then they're, they're going to look at the next option, the next uh, chapter in their lives. Now, so the optimum time to have somebody look, as I said, it's easier to sell a growing business than it is a declining business. Mm -hmm. But... Um, whether it's you've had it a few years and you're growing up or you've had it several years and you feel like it's peaking, either there is no exact perfect time. But here's what I will mention something for some people to think about too. In the business, we call this taking more than one bite of the apple. And let me explain what that means quickly. Let's say you have a company and, uh, and let's just say it's valued at uh, you're doing $3 million a year gross. You're doing a uh, million dollars a year in net. That's a pretty high net for that. But let's say you're doing a million dollars. And you say, listen, um, I would like to be able to take some of the chips off the table. In other words, I don't want to sell 100% of my company, but I'd sell 40% of it, or I'd sell 70% of it. Or uh, there's there's no there's no cookie-cutter answer to that. Some people come and say, listen, I, I'd like, I'm willing to sell 70%. I'd like to keep 30% ownership for the next five, three to five years, and I'll stay on and run the company. Listen, any of those scenarios are doable. And so what we call is the second bite of the apple or a multiple bite of the apple is let's say you want to sell that company and uh, the net is a, a million and we get $3.5 million for it. Uh, but let's say you only want to sell 60% of it. And so instead of selling it for $3.5 million, we sell it for $1.8 million. You take the 1.8, you re retain a certain portion of ownership, and then you, you, you uh, the new partners come in. They are able to put revenue in, a, you know, influx of cash in it, grow it another five years, and then you turn around and sell it again, and then you get paid again on the second sell. Mm -hmm. And so that's appealing to a lot of people that are, especially people that are a little bit younger, that still think the business has the opportunity to grow. But they want to get some security in the fact that let me take some let me while it's still growing and there's it, there's value in it let me take some of that off the table right now and then and then I'll continue to grow it and I'll and I'll take another portion later on we call it the second bite of the apple. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And so, just kind of recapping, sounds like at any time in a business owner's 
you know, business growth or decline, uh, if it, if it were, um, basically it's, you need to talk to somebody if you don't already have an exit strategy in place, because an exit strategy doesn't mean I'm looking to, you know, get out tomorrow. It is a long-term plan Correct. or it could be a short to medium to long-term plan. But if you don't have an exit strategy, you might want to just at least sit down with someone, go through what it looks like, you know, long-term and then put together a game plan. And an exit strategy could be three to five years from now. The you business know, could be going down a little bit, I would assume. And Hey, it's not a hey, Doug. You may say, hey, Doug, it's not a good time to sell, for instance. But if you can do X, Y, and Z, and you can explain the hiccup, you know, it's, it's here's what the scenario is or whatever the case may be. Let me explain one of the, tip, one of the as an example, an X, Y, Z there. Let's say you, you've, you've been a business owner, and you try to get your taxable income down to zero. I, I understand people do that from time <laughs> to time. So every expense in the world you take through the business, okay? Well... And, and, and listen, that's not a mountain we can't overcome, but sometimes we may look at somebody and say, when do you want to sell your business? Well, I'd like to sell my business in three years. Okay, well, let's do this. Over the next three years, begin to take your your, your net up, up higher, and even though it's called, the term is called addbacks, we can add a lot of the expenses back in and, and overcome some of that or most of it, but sometimes it's easier if, if you go ahead and show an increase in your net profit decrease some of the expenditures that you're taking out of it knowing that hey i'm doing with this doing this with a purpose of getting rid of my company and, and selling out in two or three years to sell my company and it just helps you get in a place because then then if your net's growing and going up every year it certainly helps the value of your business and it's easier to sell and you sell it quicker for a higher profit yeah that that makes perfect sense and and so we'll, we'll kind of wrap up this segment because we you know really got to know a lot about mergers and acquisitions and, and, and your business model and, and, and how you particularly get compensated um, as, as, a, as a broker on the deal. And I think there's just some great things. I mean, entrepreneurs, I mean, most people, when they're entrepreneurs, they're wanting to make some money. That's, that's kind of why they're doing it. And most of them that I've talked to over the years, they, they want to do it till it's not fun anymore. And I used to not understand, I didn't understand that comment. I'm like, man, if I'm making money, I mean, I'm going to be doing something. So who cares <laughs> as long as it's legal and you know, there's no problems with it. But then you realize, as you talk about some of those transferable skills and some of that kind of stuff, you realize, yeah, you can kind of transfer some of this stuff to other areas and you can make money doing it this way or you can make money doing this business. And, you know, uh, Zig talks about, you know, sometimes you just talk about licking all the red off the lollipop. And I've been through that feeling before where you may, you may be listening right now. You may have a business that you've, you've had for a certain amount of years and it's just not fun anymore. And the problem that you run into with that is then if you're the leader of the organization and it's not fun anymore, you know, speed of the, speed of the leader, speed of the team, then all of a sudden the dynamics can change and that can, you know, have a further compounding effect on, you know, on the, on the business. So you gotta be real careful about those kind of things. But, um, after we hear a, a brief word from our sponsors, we'll be right back on the ambitious radio network and we'll talk more to Craig Nedro on how he decides what's next, what he's working on and the transition through that right here on the ambitious radio network. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God or what they say? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers, and if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. This is Kelly Shackelford, president of First Liberty. 
We're the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. We've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to the local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. All right, guys, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network, and today we got Craig Nedro, and he is going to talk to us a little bit about kind of transitions in life and, and how he's gone through those from a business perspective. Obviously, we talked a little bit earlier about some of the ministry work he does, and he's, you know, intertwining all those things. And, and you know, one of the things I, I'm always curious about, he said he's full-time in the ministry, but then I know up until, I don't know, sometime in the last year, he, he was you know, he was full-time in the automobile industry, which is normally like a 50 or 60 hour a week job. So, so Craig, how are you squeezing like 90 hours of work into like, you know, 40 hours of, of week? Well, one of the great things about the industry I'm in now, the mergers and acquisitions, um, besides the fact that just a great opportunity, I, my wife and I, Micah, uh, had been praying for several years for the Lord to bring something across my path that we knew it was time to make the transition. And when I began to get recruited by MDR and Associates, uh, one of the things that was appealing to me is that it was mentioned to me that um, uh, the freedom of time is one of the greatest things about the merger and acquisition industry. Um, the, the owner of my firm said, I need to prepare you for something because this was uh, in towards the end of the year. And I said, okay, wh- what do you need to prepare me for? And he said, well, in this industry, we take off from Thanksgiving through New Year's. <laughs> I said, I said, what do you mean you take off through Thanksgiving through New Year's? He goes, whole industry shuts down. People people don't want to talk about selling their business in December. They're trying to wrap up their year and get ready for Christmas. And he said, so the whole industry shuts down from Thanksgiving through New Year's. And I said, I can't even I can't even fathom that. I mean, if you if you know anything about the car business, you know that end of the year, man, it's just it's ridiculous how they the, the mindset. So one of the things that I'm really enjoying is the freedom of time and the flexibility. You know, in the car business, you're used to getting home at 9 or 9.30 at night. And now I get, I have the privilege of getting to eat dinner with my wife every night. And that's been a huge blessing. So for me, um, the transition there was uh, obviously priorities. Um, what are your priorities in life? And while I, I, I do a lot of ministry work, I just wanted to have more balance. I think it's important to have a balance in your life. I think it's important to have um your priorities to be in the right place. Now, um, I also think it's as far as in the ministry or anybody who calls himself by the by the name of Christ, any any Jesus follower, it's important. You know, we're called to produce fruit. And I'm not going to go on anybody, I'm not trying to get on anybody's guilt trip about, oh, you should be serving in the church or you should be parking cars in the parking lot. I don't. It's different for everybody. But I know for me, for example, I've been doing the prison ministry for 12 years, and one of the reasons I do it is because I go where the fruit is. There's tremendous fruit being born through the prison ministry. I get, I have the privilege of seeing uh, a few thousand men a year give their life to Christ, and so that's a tremendous um, fulfillment for me in my ministry. That's where the fruit is. So uh, in, the, in that area, that's what I look for. The other thing that I'm looking for in my life 
and Doug, you know about this you know, very well, mo- better than most people, is I want diversification, and I'm looking for streams of income. In other words, uh, I don't want something to happen and everything I have be gone because I had all my – I don't want to be have all my um, stock market money in one stock, and if something happens in that particular – segment crashes all of a sudden my money's gone the bible even talks about it it says cast your bread upon many waters i i believe that diversification diversification is important for me uh that means possibly uh, uh my wife and i just recently bought some land uh it, it we're planning on buying some rent homes in the future uh one of the neat things about the mergers and acquisitions industry is that I have first looks at businesses that are for sale. And so there's a good chance down the road uh, that I, I may come to, uh, there might be a day that Doug Parker gets a phone call from me and I might say, hey, there's a business for sale that I'm going to I'm gonna get involved with and this might be something that you want to look at. So I'm about diversification and also if I can get some streams of income going. And I know Doug's probably talked about that before and if he hadn't, I'm sure he's going to talk about it in the future. Streams of income is important to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and here's, you know, that kind of leads perfectly into what we're talking about in a second is making those decisions because I mean who wouldn't want multiple streams of income coming in I mean there was a there was a time I had it mapped out where I kind of wanted to have 10 companies that generated on average a hundred thousand dollars a year apiece in in net profit and you know you may be looking at it thinking you know some of you may be looking at it saying that's a lot of money that's a million dollars a year in, in income some of you may be thinking man that's a whole lot of a whole lot of different businesses just just to be getting a million dollars but the bottom line is is that everybody would like more hypothetically you know what we want more money or less money well more of course but how do you when you're making those decisions when you're looking at how to prioritize this how to prioritize that how is it you go about making that decision because it's it's complicated I mean I you know I kind of uh, you know quote to be a, a serial entrepreneur I've got six different businesses the problem is is that you know you can't focus on all six of them at one time you have to time block and different things but any any thoughts on how you go about making that decision it's easy to lose sight, but I go back to the same thing I've been talking about the whole time on the on the radio today. It, it's easy to lose sight, but I go back to this: seek first the kingdom of God. There's, it's just it just it's a non-negotiable with me. I have to have that quiet time with the Lord. I have to spend time in His Word, and I can't let anything compromise that. And so that's the first thing because I do I believe the Lord directs my steps, and I believe that. And, and you may think this is a real naive thinking, but I don't believe it is. I believe if I'm putting him first and I'm seeking him, he's going to guard and protect me from getting into certain areas, and he's going to open up the doors for me to get involved in certain other areas. And listen, as a tither and a giver, you know, I'll be honest with you, in the mergers and acquisitions, um, I have a couple of goals. Um, my wife sells new homes. She does really, really well. Doug, you know, you know my wife. She's very successful. Oh, yeah. And one of my, I have a couple of goals here in the mergers and acquisitions. And the first one is that in the next three years, I'd like to be able to say to my wife, Micah, stop working, do whatever you want to do. Uh, I can't see her stop working, but she'd probably want to, uh, you know, if, a lot of you guys watch HGTV. She'd probably want to start buying these renovated homes. And she, she's a designer. She has her staging uh, license and everything. So she'd probably start buying some homes and fixing them up and turn around and selling them. Or get a real estate license. If she has a real estate license, she might want to just sell a few homes a year. But I'd like to be able to give her the freedom to do whatever she wants. The second thing I'd love to be able to do, I'd like to be in a position financially where I can give 50% of my income away. Mm. Mm. Now, that's 
to some of you out there, you're saying this, okay, I'm done listening to the program, (laughs) (laughs) but drop the mic, (laughs) but I would love the opportunity to be able to, um, to, to give away 50% of my income because I know that you can't outgive God. You, You know, that's, that's a powerful thing. And, you know, some of the, some of the most happy people, you know, you see a lot of times they don't have a whole lot. And, and then there's some people that have a whole, whole lot and they seem to be miserable. You know, so finding that that balance of having enough, being able to help other people, being able to give back, I think that makes a, a really you know a huge difference. And it's, you know, you 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 don't lean on your under, own understanding, right? I mean, because the problem is, is that you know, in 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 our minds, our own our men's our own minds and ladies, we can convince ourselves on anything. You know what I mean? We can say it enough times in a row, and and we'll start picking up what we're laying down and and, and believe our own hype. And why we need to do what we want to do. But, you know, you can look at statistics. You can Google this and look at it. A lot of the people that are most successful most successful financially are the people who give the biggest percentage of their income away. Yeah. So, I mean, it, at some point, I'm not, I'm not saying there's a formula to it, but uh, I'll leave you with, with this scripture. In Malachi chapter 3, and this is the only place in the Bible the Lord uses this word, talking about tithing. And I know a lot of people don't like to talk, talk about tithing. But the Lord says, try me now, says the Lord of hosts. And the word try there means test to see if something is genuine. Only place in the Bible he uses that word. And he says, test, try me now, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I shall not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing on you, you cannot receive it all. See, I, I'm a tither. I began this many years ago. And I don't think you'll ever meet somebody that says, yeah, I tithe, but it doesn't work. <laughs> Anybody that I know that tithes right. will tell you it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. I tithe because it works. and I, I've never met that person that says, well, I tithe, but, I, but it doesn't work. Doug, I know you. You yeah. tithe. Does it work? Absolutely. Yeah, no question about it, man. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that years, years ago, um, and, and this is kind of telling on me a little bit, you know, I started, I'd give a little bit, but I was like, man, there ain't no way I'm giving 10%. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm going to give what I think is the appropriate price of admission to go to church this week. You know what I mean? That's how I looked at it. And, uh, and like I said, I'm telling on myself a little bit, but then I thought, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And I think it was, um, I think it was back in 2005, if I'm not mistaken. And I just said, you know what, I'm just going to start doing 10%. I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm just going to do it. You know, it's either you believe what it says or you don't believe it. So, if you believe it, you can't, you know, selectively believe the parts you want to believe. So I just said, Hey, you know what? I'm going to do it and, and do it. Now the, the interesting thing is, and I've had some ups and downs and all arounds over the past decade, but the, the crazy cool thing is, is that no matter how uh, up I've been or how down I've been, I've not had to worry about, you know, does something get paid? Am I going to be able to eat? You know, my kids, am I going to pay for their school or whatever? It, it always works out. Now I'm not saying that I'm just flush with cash running out of my ears and, and no matter what, um, you know, no problem can't, you know, it can't be solved with money. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that somehow or another, everything gets paid and it, and it's not a, there's no anxiety. There's no, over the past 10, 11 years, there just hasn't been an issue. It just, it just kind of comes through and well, it kind of works out. And let me give a witness to the audience. I've known Doug a long time. And if Doug started tithing in 2005, I can tell you the Doug Parker in 2005 and the Doug Parker today, the Lord has honored that. And he has blessed Doug you know, Im- immensely. No question. And no. so Doug's a humble guy. He's not going to talk about that too much. But I'm just telling you, as a friend of Doug's, I can tell you the Lord's really blessed him. And remember, we can't outgive God. It's all his anyway. 
No question about it, man. It's great stuff for our ambitious listeners. And guys, if you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe by texting the word ambitious to 69922. Standard messaging rates do apply. See the website for full details. And next, we're going to talk a little more to Craig about what he does to recharge his ambitious body, mind, and spirit right here on the Ambitious Radio another repairmycreditnow.com story. Home ownership. It's the American dream. It's a goal you've always hoped to achieve. You've spent countless weekends looking for the perfect house on the ideal block. The rates are low and you've saved enough for the down payment. Unfortunately, now the mortgage company says there's a little hitch. Okay, let's be honest. It's a gigantic, gargantuan hitch. It's your credit. And it looks like your estimated house payment will be (laughs) a lot more www.repairmycreditnow.com Hello, this is Doug Parker with repairmycreditnow.com. Do you have less than perfect credit, a repo, maybe some late payments, a collection account? Are they being reported accurately? Studies show that over 70% of Americans have inaccuracies on their credit reports. Where do you fit in? Go to repairmycreditnow.com for your free credit report evaluation. And remember, your credit is your future. If you want to get started now, log on now. Repairmycreditnow.com repairmycreditnow.com www.repairmycreditnow.com All right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network, and today we got Craig Nedro. I mean, this guy, we didn't even talk about this earlier, Craig, but you're a published author. I, I know your book that you wrote. I mean, you're a, a successful guy in ministry, you're a successful guy in, in the entrepreneurial world. You're doing this, uh, this, this business brokering stuff right now where I know you're blessing you know, people and their families. I mean, there's just so many great things, but really what I want to talk about is you know, kind of what fills you, what drains you, how do you recharge, because... You know, so many people that are in this entrepreneurial type world, man, they're grinding. They're making it happen. They're going out there and doing it. And that's the reason why they accomplish stuff. I got this t-shirt the other day I saw on, on, on the internet. I could not get it. It said nine to five is for the week. And, you know, and hey, with all due respect, there's a lot of people that work nine to five and, and God bless them. I, if that works out for them, I'm happy for them. That just ain't never worked out for me. Uh, so what do you do? Cause I know you're not a nine to fiver. What do you do to recharge whenever you're kind of grinding? Well, out? thank God for the nine to fivers though, Doug. Yeah. And we know we need the nine to fivers. We really do. Yeah. You guys are going to think I'm out of my mind. So what do I do to recharge? Well, first of all, let me just tell you, I'm 59 years old. And, uh, remember I was an athlete the first part of my life. I, I try to work out two or three days a week and I enjoy working out. I always have. But um, so what does it what does a workout look like for you? So let's talk. What is your daily rhythm? What is it? What does a workout look like? Okay, workout. I'm going to try to hit the gym this afternoon. I'm going to do 45 minutes on the bike, and I'm going to do about uh, 30 to 45 minutes on the weights. Okay, and um, I try to do that two or three days a week. Now to unwind, and again, this is where you guys are going to think I've lost my mind. So about a year and a half ago, my wife and I bought six acres, and we're building a new home. On these six acres, I have four and a half acres of solid 150-foot-high trees. And when I bought this land, you couldn't even walk into it. It was solid. I'm really thick, thicket. I mean, like um, the vines. The with, with, I, I told my wife a couple times, I feel like I'm clearing a football field of barbed wire because 
These are got the thorns on. Oh, yeah. This is real thick woods. Mm-hmm. Well, I bought a chainsaw and I bought a brush cutter. And I've been clearing all the brush out of this because I have a vision of how I want this to look. And so imagine having thousands and thousands of trees, but clearing all of the underbrush and raising the canopy up where it looks just, you you can get a little bit of a word picture. What I like doing right now to unwind, I go out on Sunday afternoon after church and I crank up my chainsaw and my brush cutter and I go out there and I spend about four hours out in the woods clearing. And, and, And I love it. It's, and my point is it's a, it's some physical labor. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because I think a lot of people out there that are they're just people of action. You know, some people don't get how other people are, right? So I was kind of you know, talking about the nine to fivers, right? So I don't I don't get that. It doesn't. I don't either. It doesn't make sense to me. But like you said, I mean, it takes people to get things done, and and, and I understand that too. The other side of it is, you know, uh, you know where we're doing our, this radio show right now in, in our in our studio in the building. We've got a twenty six thousand square foot building. Well, a lot of times I'll come up here on the weekends and I'll, I'll replace four-foot four fluorescent bulbs, you know, or, I'll, or I will, um, you know, I, I've got a steam cleaner machine. I'll, I'll steam clean some of the carpets. And it's really a better value for me to hire somebody to do that stuff. However, I need something that I can do without thinking and my mind can get clear and it's productive. So instead of me paying somebody to do it, I'm able to be productive and do something that's kind of mind-numbing but I'm still able to um, process through the previous week, what, what's on my schedule for next week. And that's one of the things that I do as well. I don't know if, if others do that or not, but it sounds like they, obviously you do, and you're still getting stuff productively done, and you got this vision, you're kind of carving out and cutting out, and I don't know how long it's going to take you to get it where you want it. By the time you get it there, it's probably going to start growing up again if it's that much land. But <laughs> you got to knock it down more than one time. Yeah. But, I, but I'll tell you, it, it's that time out in the woods. It's my time. It's It's quiet. Uh, I spend time in prayer out there. I'll work for a while. I take one of those lawn chairs that you see that's in a bag and you can open up. And so I'll take one of those out there and I'll work for a while. And then when I get tired, I'll sit down and I take my Bible out there and I'll sit there in the woods uh, underneath the canopy of of, uh, trees. And I'll sit there and I'll spend some time in the word. I'll get back up, fire up that chainsaw. I mean, it's it's I understand how odd this sounds to most of you, but everybody's different. Mm -hmm. But for me. Um, I'm, I'm a people person. I spend most of my day talking to people, looking at numbers, work, doing that kind of stuff. So for me, I, I want a physical release. I want to, I want to be able to get away and do something physical. And, uh, and that's my quiet time because usually when I'm off work, I'm either hanging out with my wife or our kids or our grandkids, or I'm doing ministry work. And if not that, then I, you know, I enjoy, I, some people don't ever like to be alone. I like some time alone, and I've never understood people that don't ever like to be alone. That My time alone is where I feel like I get direction from the Lord. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, uh, that, you know, that's kind of one of the ways you're recharging. Now, do you have, I know I know you said your favorite book, you know, in the, in the pre-show notes was the Bible, and there's not a, <laughs> the second place is pretty far down on the list. Um, you know, it'd probably be a book in the Bible of, uh, you know, of the, of the books there. But with, with that being said, do, do you have, do you watch TV? Do you watch movies? Do you have documentaries? I mean, is there something you like to do in that version of, of media, or is it pretty much just? A uh, um, couple things. I, I, I get I get accused of being a, a, a news junkie. Okay. Uh, I probably spend too much time watch, watching Fox News. All right. Um, now, let me tell you something on that real quick. So I heard this in Darren Hardy's book, The Compound Effect. So I read this book twice last year, back to back. I mean, I went through it, 
and I liked it so much, I went through it again yep. with, with our whole management team. And he talked about the things that are within your control and the things that are outside of your control. Yep. And he talked about I'll see where this the is going. news specifically, yeah. how that and it, there was some psychological background on how humans are designed and this, that, and the other because it's a kind of fight or flight and you you are attracted to the negative stuff because you're, it's a protection area deal. The problem is, is that that instinct hasn't gone away. So when you watch the news, it's not protection. You know, I'm like, you're just watching the news and the chaos going on in the world. So about six weeks ago, and I, I probably was addicted to the news, to be honest with you, because I'll tell you why in a minute. But I, I used to watch the same thing. I'd watch the news nonstop. And, I, and then I got to realizing I'm watching this program. And then the next program that comes on, I'm watching the exact same news it's just a different talking head presenting it to me. <laughs> right. And then like an hour later, I'm watching the same dang news again, and it's a different talking head, a little different voice, but it's the same stuff over and over and over again. And I'm just wasting a bunch of time, but it, it filled my head with negativity. Now, the funny thing is, is that I still want to click number 41 on my TV because that's what Channel Fox News was on, okay? But I, I've not done it for six weeks. Now, I don't know that I'm any different than I was before because I'm a pretty positive guy in general, so I don't know that it filled me with negativity or anything like that. But in the mornings, I used to watch it too. But I've been watching like either Animal Planet or I've been watching um, uh, the ESPN. So I'll you know, catch up on the, the news of the, of the, of the sports, <laughs> right. right? But on Animal Planet, for some reason in the mornings, they got like, you know, cutest puppies or cutest kittens or whatever. And you got these little dogs and stuff. And it actually puts you in kind of a good mood. Because I notice that sometimes you watch the news and it is – very seldom there's anything positive on it. So I'm going to challenge you, Craig Nedra, because okay. I know you. So, so so let me give a little twist to that. Yeah. I know people in, in my better half, she says sometimes, I, I don't see how you can watch this news. Mm -hmm. But see, and I know you think this sounds very odd, but Doug, knowing me as you do, I watch the news a lot of times from a different perspective. And let me just touch on it real quickly. Mm -hmm. Not We don't have enough time to get into it. But I believe we're living in the very last days before Jesus returns. And as a student of the Bible, I can tell you that there are hundreds of scriptures of prophecy of things that conditions, physical, spiritual um, uh, conditions that the Bible talks about will be in the very last days. And I'm telling you, folks, no one knows the day or the hour of the return of the Lord, but it's 1159 and something. So I watch a lot of the news from a biblical worldview, because uh -huh. I'm fascinated by it, because I'm telling you, we're watching a lot of prophecy unfold before our very own eyes. Now, other than that, and you can hold this against me if you want, I grew up in Dallas, a small cut, I probably bleed a little blue, so I'm going to watch a cowboy game, okay? <laughs> Mavericks lost me several years ago. Uh, I'll watch the Rangers a little bit, but, I, but I'm a Cowboy fan. That's what, probably the one, I don't watch a lot of college football, but yeah. I, I like to catch a Cowboy game. Uh, but I'm not a real big sports fanatic like I used to be. Um, and then some of you guys are going to say, man, I was, I was with them all the way up till this statement. A lot of times on our days off, I like to take my wife and we like to go see a movie. Yeah. We enjoy going to the movie. Any particular yeah. kind of movies you like to watch? From chick flicks to science fiction. Uh, we don't watch much science fiction, but really we like uh, spy movies, espionage, okay. uh, Born Identity, the, yeah. the, that action films. And we watch to, to, to chick flicks and, and everything in between. So um, I don't watch the demonic stuff. I don't like a lot of the supernatural stuff, but uh, I like a good thriller. I like, uh, the, like I said, the action films. And then to, but we like, to, we like to go out and 
we go out and have dinner and go see a movie. We yeah. do a lot. We do that a lot. Yep, I, so. I know the feeling there. I, I do. I do. With the kiddos, kind of get out of the house. You can kind of just do stuff. You don't have to get. You don't have to coordinate anything. You just go do. That's, and I had a guy cool. recently that's a good friend of mine said, "You don't really go watch a movie with your wife, do you?" And I said, "Are you telling me you don't go watch movies with your wife?" And he goes, "I can't remember the last time." And I said, "You're making a mistake." Yeah, it reminds me of what Brian Flanagan uh, had said a while back, and and uh, Brian said, "You know, the best time to tell your wife you love her." He said, before somebody else does. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, let me encourage you guys, if you're listening to this program, hey, man, sometime in the next week or two, take your wife out to dinner and go see a movie. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good stuff. That is. That's good advice. Good advice. How about vacations? Do you like to go? Do you, do you get to do that very often? Are you in a good rhythm of, of vacations, or what does that look like? I'm in pretty good rhythm. One of my favorite places on the planet is Turks and Caicos. Been there several times. We like that. I uh, like going to the mountains, but I'm not crazy about going in the mountains in the wintertime. My wife doesn't like it real cold, um, but uh, we we like to go to the beach. Uh, we've taken a couple trips up to the wine country and enjoyed that. Um, my sister lives in Europe, and so we take, we've taken a few trips over to Europe. But I'm getting where I don't like traveling a long ways like that anymore. There's I probably got one or two more long trips. I think it'd be neat to go to Australia, New Zealand. But uh, I don't see a whole lot of long trips, but... Uh, uh, I think uh, I still enjoy getting in the car and taking a two or three day trip with her too, going okay. up, going up to a cabin in the mountains or something. A car trip, okay, cool. Now, what about what about sleep? What about rest? Do you are you are you good about getting your sleep in? And what does a a day look like? And what time do you get up? How so I think process? I think rest is real important. And I think it's um, people who don't think they need rest. I think that, I mean, I know guys. And Doug, you might even be one of these guys. Oh, I get by on four hours sleep. No, sir. I, I'm about an eight or nine hour sleep kind of <laughs> okay. guy. I need my sleep. You know, when I was younger, I could do that. But um, I think it's important to get seven or eight hours sleep. I usually get between. I try to get at least seven. And uh, I do best when I'm getting about seven and a half hours of sleep a night. Uh, usually I try to go to bed oh, 1030, maybe 11 o'clock. Um, and then I, I try to get up around seven in the morning. So, uh, but, but I think it's important to try to get seven and a half, eight hours sleep. I got diagnosed with sleep apnea uh, quite a while ago, and and uh, thank God for that because that made a big difference in my life when I when I got that fixed. You know, not that we're promoting necessarily any uh, particular doctor or anything like that, unless one of them would like to support the program, and we might, <laughs> we might do something like that. But but I have heard you know many people that they they have the sleep apnea, they're snoring, whatever the case is. And I know I had that a while back too. And I had these little pillar things put in and, and some stuff adjusted with my sinuses with um, some kind of radi- radiation stuff in my nose or something. But bottom line is it made a huge difference on my ability to breathe. And, you know, breathing is kind of important. You know what I mean? And especially, you know, at nighttime when you are asleep and then you stop doing it. So I know when Craig was going through that, it was kind of a little bit of scary times because they were wondering, you know, hey, what what is it that's going on? And uh, so it's always good to talk about that. And if, if you're a, again, if you're a hard charger, uh, you, you got to get some rest. And so there may be situations where you're in the bed for seven, eight, nine hours a night and not getting as much rest. So that may be an opportunity to improve there. Again, we're just looking for ways to improve life and make you better at what you do already. And uh, that's, that's, that's something. Let me that, touch on that real quickly, Doug, yeah, if I please could. Do, yeah. So I didn't have any of the signs of sleep apnea. I'm not obese and I don't snore. But what happened is my heart went into um, AFib. Uh, I got sick, and I, I they came to find out that my heart was out of rhythm. And my doctor said, I think you have undiagnosed sleep apnea. But I didn't have any of the signs, so they did a sleep test, found out that I was uh, stopping breathing an average of 34 times in an hour. And so um, that, 
when they got me, they got the the sleep and the uh, the sleep apnea fixed. My heart came back into rhythm on its own. My my heart doctor told me that men over fifty, sixty percent of them have sleep apnea. Whoa! And guys with heart problems, eighty percent is caused by undiagnosed sleep apnea. Oh, so geez. listen, if you're over, if you're forty or over, and you find yourself tired in the middle of the afternoon, and you just find yourself dozing off and stuff. Hey, brother, I'm just trying to help you, man. Go get checked because chances are you probably have sleep apnea. And when I got mine fixed, it made a big difference in my life. Well, I mean, there's only, you know, 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week, and you do have to get some rest. So, I mean, you, you might as well be good rest and, and help Absolutely. you, you know, really get rolling. So, um, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of you know, just your life and, and the work-life balance and how, you have, how you've done that. But do you feel yeah. like you've got work-life balance? I do now. Okay, and, and and for years it was out of balance. Okay, and so for those of you that are listening right now, and you, if you really, honestly had to ask yourself, is my life, work life, you know, is that imbalance? And let's just do this: ask your spouse if it's imbalanced. Let's let's say if you ask them, what would they say? And if it's out of balance, so what do you do about that? So obviously you you changed industries, but you were that was a a ten year. No, it was of, not a quick, easy decision for me. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I, I, I had to think about replacing a couple hundred dollar or a couple hundred thousand dollar a year income, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that may not be a lot of money for everybody, but for me at the time, $200,000 a year income was quite a bit of money to replace. No question. No question. So, um, so you said you prayed through it. You, you, you and the wife, y'all really looked for some signs and did mm-hmm. some stuff, but c- can you talk about some of the practical steps that you took? Because, and, and if you, if you are open to it, because, I've known you. I don't think it was like you had a bad day and you went and quit, which is what I did in the car business. You know what I mean? I said, hey, then enough of this. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be able to make it happen, I hope. And if I can't, I'll come back with my tail between my legs because I can go find a job somewhere. Okay. And it worked out for me. But can you talk about some of the practical steps? Okay, so let me, get, let me give you – that's a pretty good question. And we don't have to talk about the numbers necessarily, but just generally, No, I, I, got, I got you. So when this buddy of mine, Michael, came to me and visited me and, 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 and talked to me about making a life change, um, it was 10 months later. Now, I knew pretty quickly I, I, when he came and had this conversation with me, and here's what happened. Michael owns his own firm, the, the M&A firm, and he said, listen, I'm not trying to recruit you because we're a small firm. We're very successful. But I had an older gentleman many years ago that mentored me and got me out of the car business, and this is the greatest business in the world now, the M&A business. So he said, I would be willing to mentor you if it's something you think you might be interested in starting your own deal or something. So I began to do research on it. So my first thing I could advise you is if you if you want it, if you think you need to make some, and you may be able to say, listen, I can cut my my hours down in the profession I'm in. Well, God bless you. But I was, you know, in an environment where I couldn't change the hours, and I was having to put in a lot of hours. So what I did is I began to do research on on, on this other area. And the more research I did, the more I found out. You know what? I think I can do this. You know what? I like this. I, it's of interest to me. So what I tried to do in a nine-month period is basically get a college education. I started cramming on everything I could. I started reading every article I could, started getting some books. And by the way, I like to read too, Doug. We are talking about things we like to do earlier. You know, I don't know if I would read quite as much as Doug, but I really love to read too. So I spend a lot of time reading. Uh, And I can tell you, Doug Doug Parker spends a lot of time reading too. But I started reading, started doing studying uh, on this, on the mergers and acquisitions industry. And, and started meeting with uh, Michael. Uh, and after meeting three or four times a month, uh, about eight months into this, 
Michael finally said to me, listen, I, I want to talk to you about something because we, this was never in the cards, but me and my other partner have talked about it, and we'd like to make you an offer to join the firm. And then at that point, my wife and I, he made me, made me the offer. I sat down with Micah. We looked at it, and it became very evident that that's the route we needed to go. So I would say it was a 10-month process from the time I decided I was getting – I mean, I knew I was going to leave eventually, but from the time I know, okay, I'm getting out, it was about a 10-month process before I, I actually went and gave my notice. So, um, I, you know, I listen, I'm 59 years old. I don't, I don't have time to make dumb decisions. And I don't want to make major mistakes in my life at this point. So uh, we bathed it in prayer. I really sought the Lord about it, did a lot of research on about it. So when the day I gave my notice, I had perfect peace about it. And And I haven't been gone that long, but I absolutely know that the Lord directed my steps and I made the right decision. Well, and, and, you know, in going through that process, so, I mean, you, you, you thought through it, you prayed about it, you included your wife on it, you... Also got some counsel from other... I came and talked to Doug, mm-hmm. came and talked to a couple of people, talked to my pastor. Yeah. Because if everybody I would have talked to you would have said, I don't think there's a chance you'll do any good at this. You're, are you out of your mind? But everybody I talked to, from my pastor on down, said, I think you could do great at this. Yep. And, and so the Bible says where there is counsel, where there is a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. So get with some people that are important to you and ask them. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the, the other part that you and I talked about was, uh, you know, s- saving a little bit. You know what I mean? Putting a little right. bit, having a little bit of a nest egg that, hey, what if it went three, four, five, six months, you know, before any money came in? You know, is that is that a possibility? Because I'm, I'm the kind of guy, in general, I'm a very positive guy. But when it comes to someone coming to me and asking me questions like you did, I can get real contrarian thinking real quick. I can say... I can I can show you how it's going to crash and burn, you know. And so with with that being said, um, you know I, I we went through some of those steps and 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 you answered some of the questions that I would have had that I thought were problematic. And but it's it's processing through it. And again, I, I bring that up because a lot of times, guys, you let it get in gals and ladies and and everyone. Um, you you let it get to a boiling point where you are so sick of your job and you want to do this entrepreneurial thing or you want to do something different. And you wait till it's a, a, an explosion that's going to occur, and you blow out, and you're not prepared, and then you're, you're operating out of desperation, mm-hmm. and it's just not really a smooth deal. And as Craig said, I mean, he had total peace with it, and that's great. Honestly, I didn't have total peace when I left. It was a Saturday afternoon, and my wife's like, "What are you doing home?" And this is the car business. So I was like, "He must have been home." I was like, "Well, I'm pretty sure I just quit." She goes, "What?" First question is, what are we going to do for insurance? I'm like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, and that's an entrepreneurial, uh, you know, hey, we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Because, hey, we'll figure it out. You know what you're talking about here is a great point because uh, let me tell you something. Um, even in the car business, when I would hire new people, I would always ask them, how long can you go before you get a check? Now, in the industry I'm in now, I don't get a check every week. I don't get it. Let me tell you something. If, if I don't get a listing and we don't sell a company, I don't get a check, period. But mm-hmm. my point is, I'm, I don't get a monthly or, or weekly check anymore. Uh, I, the opportunity is there to make a real good living, but it comes in different, a different form of income. Right. So my wife and I looked at it, and we knew that I, di- I didn't want to work under pressure because I've seen people in sales that if you have to, if a guy came to me and said, I got to make ten grand this month or I'm in trouble, I'm not hiring that guy because mm-hmm. that guy's working from a place of desperation. If you know that you've got 30 or 60 days of money to, to hold you over, don't make that change. In my opinion, minimum you should have is six months in the bank of paying your bills without it hurting you. 
Uh, for me, I wanted to, you know, I, it, God forbid, but if I had to go a year or two without any income, I'd still be okay. But I don't plan on doing that. Right. But I would advise to anybody before you make a, a major change like that, you need to have six months. In my opinion, everybody needs to have six months reserve in the bank period. Well, yeah, because life is going to happen. And, and if it hadn't happened to you yet, then it's, uh, you know, talking about Craig's talking about the, the not knowing the hour, but being at 1159 something. I mean, if you haven't had any problems in life, it's 1159 something because yeah. they happen to everybody. And no matter how, you know, on top of the mountain you are, life life just has a way of happening. So, man, Craig, th- this has been a, a great interview. I, I've taken tons of, of notes and, and written things down as, as we're talking. And, you know, I, I always enjoy talking to you. I feel like I learn something every every time we talk. But, you know, as, as we wrap up, you know, if if I could make a, a, maybe one request of, of our audience or if they wanted to get in touch with you, let's say, how's the best way to communicate with you? Maybe they're a business owner and they're, they're looking at putting together some kind of an exit strategy in the future. How would they go about communicating with you? Okay, I'm going to give them a couple of different ways. The first one would be my email. You can reach me at Craig, which is C-R-A-I-G, at mdrma.com. And let me let me give that to you again. Craig at, and these initials, MDR is Michael David Rubin, M-A, mergersandacquisitions.com. So it's, once again, it's Craig at MDR ma.com that's my email address now you may think i'm crazy for doing this but even on my weekly radio program i give out my cell phone number so my cell number is all over all over the state of texas and oklahoma you can reach me on my cell number at 469-688-7615 let me give that to you one more time 469-688-7615 and the email address, once again, is Craig, C-R-A-I-G. That's Craig at M-D-R-M-A dot com. Craig, that is great information. And we'll get this all on the show notes. Go to ambitiousradio.com and just you know click on Craig Nedro's name. And we'll have all the information you know from the show we did today, all some of the books that he mentioned. He mentioned quite a few scriptures. We'll put those on there as well. It's, it's great stuff, as well as his email and his cell phone number. I just want to tell you, I appreciate you coming on the show, investing your time with us today. It's been great. And uh, we've kind of got a new rhythm with, with our show, but, but appreciate you participating. Thanks, Doug. It's been an honor being here. Yes, sir. Well, everyone out there, tune in on Saturdays. And yes, I did say Saturdays now to Ambitious Radio, where we interview thought leaders and exciting entrepreneurs changing the faces of their organizations. Remember, you can make money or you can make excuses, but you cannot make both. So go out there and be ambitious. Thank you for listening to the Ambitious Radio Network, hosted by serial entrepreneur Doug Parker. Join us weekly as we have engaging conversations with ambitious entrepreneurs and thought leaders on topics that can be applied immediately after listening. Like what you've heard? Listen to other interviews at ambitiousradio.com or subscribe on iTunes.